We thank you for the reminder this morning that indeed, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we find ourselves, Lord, you are with us. And Lord, that's in the face of hard times, the face of good times. It doesn't matter, Lord, you are faithful. You are there. Emmanuel. And today we praise you for being Emmanuel. We don't deserve it, and yet, Lord, you've given yourself to us. And Lord, we thank you and praise you so much this morning. And as we look to your word, as we go to the book of Mark, I pray that you would help us to see a glimpse of not only who Jesus is, but also what he endured so that we can have comfort and hope even in the hardest of times. And so, Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. So I have a question, and that, this question starts with this, is, have you ever been rejected? Have you ever experienced what rejection might feel like? A uh, personal story of mine, uh, when I was oh, 16, I had a girl that I had my eyes on. She was everything I thought I'd ever wanted in a girl. She had red hair. She was nice, she was friendly, she loved Jesus, all the things, the checklist was going down and I was checking the, the list. And I put myself out there and I talked to her and I was nice to her and I turned on the, the charm, yeah right. Um, eventually I got up the nerve to ask the big question, but you know, some of you will remember these days, some of you won't. It was in the day of AOL Instant Messenger. And, you know, I took a big step of faith, and I got on Instant Messenger, and I messaged this girl and asked her if she would consider going on a date with me. And I was nervous, excited, all those things, and I got the classic answer that many of you maybe have experienced. Well, I really like our friendship, and I'd like to just leave it that way. I was crushed. I gave up on girls. I said, I'm done. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to be single the rest of my life. It's okay. And by the way, if you're single, that's fine. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've been rejected. All this time I've put in and all these... I've been, I was praying. I was asking God, this is the girl I know she is. Like, I just know it. And I was praying, and you're going to give me this answer. And she said no, and I was completely and utterly rejected. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, I was done. Fast forward a year later. And at Circle C Ranch, days of training, in walks this beautiful, short brunette with blue eyes. <laughs> it's as if an angel walked in. And uh, the rest is history. That was my wife now. And, uh, and everything I thought I wanted or needed in this last girl was nothing compared to what God had in store for me. That's the point. I'm not here to brag on my wife, although I did marry up. There is no question about that, okay? Um, no question about that. Uh, my point of the story is simple. 
I took rejection so hard and I thought it was the end. And I thought there was no hope. And yet God had a plan beyond any of my wildest imaginations and had the exact girl, the exact woman that I would need to be my wife that would be my partner in ministry, that would be my partner in child care, child rearing, whatever you want to call. And, Lord, and the Lord was in it all. And yet that rejection hurt so badly I didn't know where to look. But there's been other times in my life where I faced rejection. Uh, when I first got out of college and I thought, well, there's definitely churches that will want young guys right out of college. And I started applying everywhere and I kept getting either no's or no response and I was dejected and I figured this is the end of it. I guess I'm not really called to be a pastor. And and you think I would have learned, but you just don't learn. You just get rejected and you start getting down on yourself and you think it's the end. And rejection is seen as such a negative, bad thing. But the rejections that I have experienced in my life have led me to this moment right here where I'm standing before you as what God has called me to be doing. And I would not trade that in for anything else in the world. Now, you, you maybe have similar experiences. Maybe in the job area, maybe you've been applying and you get rejected, but you find yourselves, it seems to always be no matter how much you get rejected, there's a reason. And that rejection actually goes from being a negative thing to a positive thing. And this morning, we're going to talk about rejection, even more serious, a whole lot more serious than rejection from a girl, and a whole lot more serious than even rejection from an employer. But rejection from people in the life of Jesus as he ministers. And as we look at the rejection that Jesus faced, there's a truth that we're going to see as we get to the end of this, that if Jesus faced rejection, we will too But let's not look at rejection as a bad thing because the rejection that we might be experiencing from people is going to result in acceptance from God. And if that's the case, then the rejection is worth every single second. Every single rejection that we have in life is worth it. But before we get to all that, we do need to look at what happens here in Mark chapter 6 to see how Jesus is rejected. We'll look at a few different ways that we see the rejection that he faces, how he responds, and then finally at the end we'll take this idea of saying, if Jesus lived this way, then how should we live? So we are in the book of Mark. We will be in chapter 6. A little bit of review before we get going. If you remember, as we've gone through the book of Mark, and I know many of you haven't been with us, so a little bit of review might help to see where we have found ourselves up to this point in Mark. First thing that we've seen in Mark so far is that Jesus is identified as the suffering servant king, who is truly God and truly man. The servant king, the suffering servant king. Those don't make sense together, and yet that's what we see Jesus. Jesus is going to suffer and serve, but yet is still the sovereign king of all. And that is because he is truly God and truly man. He is 100% both God and man at the same time. Confusing, yes, but true also. Jesus, then we see as, as he is the, the king and he is God, Jesus has been showing his authority. And as he shows his authority by healing and casting out demons and showing his authority even in the way he teaches, we see that that leads to opposition and pressure. People are opposing the ministry of Jesus. He is feeling pressured not only from opposition, but pressured even from people who are constantly crowding around him looking for healing. And then last week we started this idea that as Jesus is doing these things and as the pressure and opposition is mounting, 
Jesus not only ends up teaching on the kingdom of God, which he does, he teaches on the kingdom of God through parables and just in his teaching, but he also, as we looked at last week, not only taught about the fact that he is the king of the kingdom, not only did he teach the kingdom, but he also demonstrated his sovereignty over all things. That he demonstrated his sovereignty over all things. And if you remember, that was calming a storm. Casting out a demon that no one else, that actually a myriad of demons, a legion of demons, he cast them out into pigs that nobody else could do. He healed a woman who had an uncurable disease and then finally he actually raises a young girl back to life. There is no aspect of life that Jesus is not sovereign over. We see that here in the book of Mark. And so he's in the midst of his ministry. He's teaching and he's demonstrating his sovereignty He's showing who he is. He's teaching who he is. And that is where we find ourselves as we enter Mark chapter 6. If you join with me as I read Mark chapter 6, and it's not 1 and 2, by the way, it's 1 through 29. 1 through 29 here in Mark chapter 6. He went away from there. This was after healing the young girl and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics, and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and if they will not listen to you, and when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom." And she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and his guests. He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. We look at Mark chapter 6. We're going to start by looking at the fact that Jesus faced rejection from his hometown. Jesus faced rejection by his hometown, his own people, his, the place he grew up, the place he lived. This is where he sees rejection. <clears throat> we actually see this isn't the first time he's faced rejection. He had been in his hometown when he started his ministry and people kind of pushed him out then. But now he's come back. And then we, what we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 6 is we see that <clears throat> Jesus is teaching... In the synagogues, the first six verses here, we see that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He is going out. He is a rabbi. He is known to be a rabbi. He has disciples, as the, the word tells us here. The disciples are following him. That means he's a rabbi that has followers that are learning from him. A lot has happened since Jesus first left his hometown. And we even read what some of those things are. People start, they, they start saying, wow, look at what is happening. What is he doing? See, people are astonished of him. They are astonished of what they've heard. They've heard about his teaching. They've heard about his wisdom. They've heard about all the mighty works done by his hands, they say in verse 2. But then they say, with all these great things, how can it be true? We know him. He's the son of a carpenter, just a laborer. And, and then they go on and they say, look, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. So they're astonished, and yet then we see the rejection. They're astonished because they've heard what he's taught. They've heard about his wisdom. They've heard about his mighty deeds. But even knowing all of those things, hearing about all of those things, seeing that he had a following, as he teaches in the synagogue, now people reject him, his very own hometown. You see here in this passage that after Jesus is teaching and the people are astonished of what is happening, people start questioning Jesus' reputation. This is where we see where they start coming up with reasons. Is this not the carpenter's, uh, the carpenter, just a, a common laborer, the son of of Mary. Now, you might think, okay, so they're describing who he is. In this time, you did not describe a child by their mother. Uh, you would say the son of Joseph or the son of whoever, the, the, the father, not the mother. Now, it's, it's implied here as we look at this, and I've read a lot of study on this, it's very much implied here that what they're saying, isn't this the son of Mary? the illegitimate son of Mary. Because to many people, remember, they would have thought, they, they didn't believe Mary's story all the time, that, oh, I was, no, this is God's child. This is not anything that I did wrong. With all they know is that Mary and Joseph had this baby before they were married. You know, well, conceived this baby before they were married. And so the idea there is the son of Mary, it's, it's actually a derogatory thing. Then starts talking about brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And then his sisters also. We've already seen in the book of Mark that Jesus' family thinks he's crazy. Just a few chapters ago, that's exactly what happens. His family comes to get him away from the crowds because they say he's going crazy. So his family is already rejecting him. And so it's almost like here the people are looking at the family and saying, Look, these are, this is his own family and they don't believe him. Why would we? And then we, that's exactly what we see here. It says, and they took offense at him. 
even though they saw everything that he was doing, they questioned Jesus' reputation and they insult Jesus' identity. They insult his identity. If you look at this and you think about how this is being said, all of these things, they are saying, you are nothing but just a family member of this family that we know. How can you be doing these things? And they took offense at him. Jesus knows this is going to be true. It doesn't surprise Jesus in verse 4. And he says, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and is among his relatives and in his own household. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows that prophets are always been rejected in their hometowns. And even though he has a great following outside of where he came from, familiarity has breeded contempt here in his hometown. And so as people are looking at him, even though they see all the amazing things, they're blinded by the fact that they know who he is and they can't come to grips with the fact that he is the Messiah. And so what is the result after Jesus finds himself being rejected by his very own hometown? Well, we see that Jesus doesn't do many miracles. Now this verse says here, and he could do no mighty works there. Now obviously this is not a line that is trying to tell us that Jesus didn't have the power to do it. The idea here is very simple, that because of their lack of faith, nobody was really asking for miracles. Think about that. You can't, Jesus up to this point, he heals people who ask. He heals people who reach out to him and touch him, who, people who are coming. And the, the, the idea here is that people have no faith in him. And if there's no faith, and every time Jesus heals, he says, your faith has made you well. Because you believe that I can heal you, that is why you are healed. It is, and, and so he's not going to force people to be healed. And so what we find here is he's not doing many miracles, just a few sick people. People don't trust him. In fact, they don't trust him in so much that Jesus is amazed at their lack of faith. In verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Even though this didn't catch him by surprise, he was still amazed and marveled. Just the idea of why won't you believe me? I've shown you everything, I've taught you everything, and yet you don't believe. Even in the fact that he's amazed at their lack of faith, and even though many miracles aren't happening... We read at the end of verse 6, and he went out among the villages teaching. He didn't let that stop him. Jesus could have said, oh, I've been rejected. The people don't want to hear from me. The people don't want me to heal them. I'm moving on. I'm leaving. I'm not going to stick around here anymore. But Jesus knew that even through the rejection that he would still teach. That was why he was there to teach on the kingdom of God, and he continues to do it among the villages that are around. Even where he's known, even though he knows he'll be rejected, he continues to teach. that is something we can all learn from. Even in the face of rejection, we need to move forward with what God is calling us to do. The next rejection we see is by what I call here the hearers. The hearers. In in 7, Jesus sends out his apostles once again. We've already seen this happen one other time. But in verse 7, we see that Jesus again sends out his 12 apostles to minister. He sends them out, as we find out, to teach about repentance to cast out demons, to heal people who need healing. And so he gives them authority again to go out two by two, and that's what they do. He sends them out to minister. But in that, in that commissioning, even here, Jesus is calling on his disciples to show faith. Because basically what he says by all this list of things not to take, he's basically saying, trust me to provide for you throughout the whole time. That I will provide houses, that I will provide things, that I will provide food, that I will provide everything you need for your journey. Don't take anything, don't over-prepare, don't take forever to, to pack. 
Now is the time to go. Go and trust me. And so he tells them to trust in him completely as they go. Now where's the rejection in this part of the story? Well, here's the deal. Jesus gives authority to the twelve. They go out and what Jesus says to them is very clear. There will be some that will accept you. There will some who will receive you. And there are others who won't. Some people won't receive his commissioned apostles. This isn't a, oh, well, you, you might come across somebody. This is, if, the, if a place isn't going to accept you, this is what you need to do. He says to shake the dust off their feet. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But the other thing we see here in this passage, and you'll see that I have this up through 16, because in verse 14... It says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had been known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why he did these miraculous powers that are working him. Others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. When Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Other people who are hearing about who Jesus is, they're not believing in his identity. Jesus has made it clear. We've already looked at this. He's made it clear that he is the king, the Messiah that has come to set up the kingdom of God. He's taught that, he's demonstrated that, he's shown that, and now we find ourselves that even people who are hearing, some who are hearing from the apostles aren't going to accept it, and the ones who are hearing as a result of the the spread of Jesus' teaching are starting to say, no, he's John the Baptist, he's a prophet, Uh, he is Elijah. They won't accept who he truly is, which is the Messiah himself. And so we find in this area, in this time, As the apostles are ministering and people are saying, some people are receiving them in their houses and listening to their message and others are putting them out of their house and not listening. We also see that there's people that are hearing what's going on and they're not believing who Jesus is. They don't believe his identity. And so the rejection is being seen here. That some people will reject the message and some people will reject his identity. What is the result? The result of all of this people would be held accountable for unbelief. Shaking the dust off their feet, that was a symbol of there's nothing more we can do. We're we're out of the, the unbelieving place and this is a sign of accountability. What you have chosen, this will, you will be held accountable to. Jesus is very clear here. You don't stay and force yourself in or force anything, but if they won't receive you, you leave the house, you shake off the dust, and you say, now you're on your own. You've heard the message, and you are now accountable for your unbelief. And while this was happening, what we read at the end of this passage here in verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with with oil many who were sick and healed them. Ministry flourished. Even in the face of rejection, even though there would be people that would not receive them, even though in just a few verses we will see that people don't understand who Jesus is, even in that environment, God is doing amazing things through the apostles. That they are doing many miracles, that they are preaching repentance, and ministry is happening even though there has been rejection. Once again, they weren't to stop because they got cast out of a house, they weren't to not go to any other houses and stop their ministry. They kept going because Jesus had given them authority and had commissioned them to preach the gospel of repentance. So we see the ministry flourished despite the rejection. The next rejection we see is the rejection by Herod. 
We read this whole section about Herod and, and what he did to John the Baptist and, and we could read that again and I could tell you all the things that happened, but it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we're given a historical account of how the beheading of John the Baptist came about. And we see, well, yes, this is a rejection of John the Baptist, but it's also, or of John the Baptist, but it's also a rejection by Herod of Jesus himself. The situation we find ourselves in is that Herod has heard what Jesus and his followers were doing. He has heard it. He has heard that Jesus, what he's doing, what his followers are doing, and he's perplexed, he's confused, he's trying to figure out why this is happening. But what we find in the verses we already read at the beginning up to verse 16 is that Herod believes with all his heart that Jesus is really the resurrection, the reincarnation, whatever you want to call it, that's what he's believing of John the Baptist. He believes that Jesus has come now and John is back. That's what he believes. Herod was convinced that John the Baptist was back. It's almost like a feeling as you read this, and I know this is, I'm not trying, I'm really not trying to be, uh, uh, to get away from scripture and and, and make this trivial, but I'm reminded of like, even like, you know the movie Terminator, where the Terminator says, I'll be back. You know, it's like, He's John or Herod is like John. I, I killed John. Now he's back. Like oh no, he's back. He, uh, what am I going to do? And that's what we see as we read this passage. You see, the rejection happens in the fact that Herod doesn't understand Jesus's identity. We already talked about that. He believes that Jesus is John the Baptist. He doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah that he's told people that he is. And so that rejection of not understanding Jesus's identity is also seen in the fact that he has executed John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been executed. This is the rejection we see. And you say, well, this is obviously a rejection of John the Baptist because he died. It's obviously a rejection of him. But let's think about what we're really saying here. Herod is thinking that Jesus is John the Baptist. And how did he feel about John? Well, we're told in verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet heard him gladly. For Herod feared John. If Herod was afraid of John and now he thinks that Jesus is the resurrection of John, Herod is afraid of Jesus. Herod is afraid of Jesus and this is where we find ourselves. So as being afraid of Jesus... He's afraid of John, and John ends up dead. We will also see, as we know as the gospel unfolds as we go through the book of Mark, that Jesus will also be put to death. And so in a very real sense, the death of John the Baptist is just a foreshadowing of Jesus' death. That a righteous and holy man was put to death, and that is exactly what will happen with Jesus on the cross. And so there is this idea of rejection, even in this story about John the Baptist, that feels like it's almost out of place. But what we see is that that Herod was afraid of John and therefore afraid of Jesus. It would end up to the end of Jesus' life where he would die. But the point is, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus himself, the prophet that declared the Lamb of God that has come into the world, was killed by Herod. And that is not only a rejection of John, but it is also a rejection of Jesus. And so in this passage so far in Mark chapter 6, we have seen that Jesus is rejected by his hometown, by the hearers that will hear the gospel of repentance, and also by Herod, the king, the ruler. He is experiencing rejection and seeing rejection from all areas. 
it would be tempting for anyone at this point to give up. If you watched your cousin who was your forerunner get beheaded, if you heard that story, you would want to give up. That is a rejection that you would not want to face. If any of us were in these situations, it would be very hard for us if our own people that we loved and cared for the most would reject us. And anyone we talked, we told uh, about uh, uh, the good news rejects us. And if the very government rejects us, then it would seem like there's no hope and it would seem like we need to give up. But as we've already seen, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and his followers never gave up. And so that brings us to our conclusion. And you say, wow, what an uplifting sermon, especially on graduation Sunday. Look forward to life because Jesus was rejected and so will you. I know. And yet, this is the truth of Scripture. The first question I have to ask, though, before we even get to what you should expect as a Christian, is this question, are you rejecting Jesus? You see, his own hometown, the people who are closest to him, people who knew all they needed to know about him, they knew everything about Jesus. They knew where he grew up, they knew his siblings, his family, they knew who Jesus was. It wasn't an issue of believing in their mind, but they refused to let their heart and their will really accept the fact that Jesus indeed was the Savior, the Messiah, and they needed to come to Him for salvation. They wouldn't receive that. They knew Him very well, but they wouldn't receive Him for who He truly was. Is that you today? Maybe you know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you come to church every week. Maybe every month. Maybe this is the first time you're at church, but you know enough about Jesus. Maybe you grew up going to VBS, or Sunday school, whatever, and you know about Jesus, but have you really accepted him are you still rejecting him in your heart and how do we know whether you're rejecting him or not well it's all about what the message was here the message of repentance turning away from our way of life and trusting jesus that is repentance it's not separate from faith it is faith as they go together we have faith and we believe and as we do that then we will turn from ourselves and turn towards christ that is salvation that is how we don't reject him we reject him by living a life that is all about us by living the selfish sinful life and having no way of turning around and turning towards him not not that we will be perfect if we come to jesus but we will at least be pursuing him the best we possibly can are you there or are you living in a way of rejecting jesus by living your own life you know a lot about him but you don't truly know him you're rejecting Jesus. Jesus lived that perfect life that, that maybe you've even heard of. He lived a perfect life. And, and even these people who should have known him would have known that. And Jesus lived that perfect life so that he could die on a cross to pay our penalty for sin, which is death and punishment in hell forever. Jesus died for us on the cross to pay for that penalty so we wouldn't have to. He rose again to say sin and death has no more power. Come to me, believe in me, repent, and I will be with you. You will be with me. And that is his promise of salvation. But if we continue to live life our own way, we are rejecting him. We are rejecting who he truly is. Do not reject him any longer if that is you. Take today to have faith, to repent, to come to Jesus and say, I know a lot about you, but I need to know you. 
to those of us today that, are, that do know Jesus. And, you know, I think about the grads that we just had up here. And, and, and it's true, actually. I want people to know that life will probably be full of rejection. It is life. Life is hard. Get a helmet, they say. But the, that is truth, but it's not doesn't end there. The rejection that you might face in this life, it doesn't end there. Are you prepared for rejection? Many people come to Christ and think, now it's going to be smooth sailing. I'll just be able to live my life, be happy, go to church, feel good about myself, know that I'm going to heaven and everything's going to be great. The Bible is so clear that if you follow Jesus, you will face rejection. And in case you are wondering about that, I want to read to you from the book of John. I know we've been studying Mark, but we cannot study this passage without looking at John chapter 15. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 15. This is a long section. I'm not going to unpack it too much. I want you to listen to what it says because it's pretty clear. But in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18, John 15, 18, listen to what Jesus has to say to his closest followers before he leaves this earth. In verse 18 of chapter 15 of the book of John, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they did not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not, they would have they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, would they not be guilty of sin? But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this is the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning." But notice now in 16 why Jesus even says that to them. He says, yes, the world hates me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They rejected me, they're going to reject you. And here's what Jesus says why he's even telling them this. He's not telling them this to bum them out. What he says in chapter 16 is simple. I have said all these things to you who to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is doing a, or offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember what I, that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're sad about this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is not to your advantage that I go away. For if, or it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. For when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will... 
not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little bit more. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And yet again a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you, You will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy of, that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, for I do not say to you that I will, uh, I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and, you, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I know that's a long passage. We couldn't leave any of it out. Jesus is very clear. Jesus was rejected. We will be too. But it doesn't end there because we need to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. No matter what rejection we face, it's worth it. Because Jesus is with us. Jesus will, people may reject us, but he never will. No matter what rejection we face, he will never reject us as we believe in him, as we're told here in John chapter 15. I won't read these this morning because of time. But I would encourage you to read up these passages, read these passages if you're taking notes. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Luke 6, 22 through 23. If you look those passages up, it says the same thing. That we will be rejected and yet Jesus will be there throughout it. So yes, graduates, everyone, rejection is coming. If we stand for Christ... We will be rejected because as he was rejected, so will we. But he will not leave us or forsake us. He is there with us. Our joy can be full because he has overcome the world. Are we going to sing a final song or not? Okay. In that case, I do want to read one more passage. 
This one's not as long, I promise. Romans 8. You guys know Romans 8, but I want to leave on this. I want to read this and not only read it, but also treat it as a prayer as we go to Romans chapter 8. Because this speaks exactly to the comfort we can have even knowing that we're going to be rejected. As we're rejected, we have a promise from Jesus. And so if you haven't come to know Jesus, you need to know him. And if you have, you need to trust in him. You need to trust him daily, even when rejection happens, even when the times are hard. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And we'll close on these words, and I'll close with prayer as soon as we come to the end. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he will not also with us graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that even in the hardest times, even in the times of rejection, even in the times of persecution, even when we don't know if there's any hope to be had, Lord, that we can have hope in you. That you will not leave us or forsake us. That you have overcome the world. That we will never be separated from your love if we can come to know you as our Savior. And so, Lord, today I pray that as we leave this place, as we go our separate ways, Lord, that you would allow us to just look to you in every aspect of our lives. Trust you in every way, even when it gets hard. And God, that as rejection may seem bad at the time, Lord, make it seem good. As your word also says, all things will happen to be good for those who are called according to your name and love you. And so, Lord, I pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.